We're glad you've joined us on Songs of Praise, an hour of musical reflection to encourage your heart.
on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old At last I lay down 
They know that it's not true For they have vowed to other gods That they have worshipped more than you Gods of fortune, fame and wealth Gods of pleasure, gods of self But as for me, my heart's reserved For you and you
enjoying songs of praise. Here's some more inspirational music.
vision from my heavenly home to die on a cross for sins to atone. I went away, but said I'd come back someday. Just keep looking up to the sky, watch and pray. Behold, I come quickly in the twinkling of an eye. I'm coming for a bride, all robed in white. No man knows the day, so keep your heart right. For behold, I come quickly, like a thief in the night. Pray without ceasing. Keep your lamps burning bright, for I'm coming soon. Could be morning, noon, or night. In a moment, you think not. The trumpet will sound, and those who are ready will be heaven bound. Behold, I come quickly in the twinkling of an eye. I'm coming for a bride. All rolled in white. No man knows the day. So keep your heart right. For behold, I come quickly, like a thief in the night. Thief in the night. Thief in the night.
Songs of Praise continues with more inspirational music. Sometimes it seems I feel so well We'll keep on going on And I can get so comfortable And make this place my home Remind me, Lord, that there is more Than just the things I see To fix my eyes on Jesus It's time to get ready Today is all that we have We can see the signs are happening Just as the Bible says So don't get caught unaware Now is the time to prepare God is calling me and calling him today to put aside distractions and the things that lead us away to really read our bibles and devote ourselves to prayer to know our dear friend jesus for he is always there it's time to get ready signs are happening just as the Bible says so don't get caught unaware now is the time to Thank you. 
prophecies point to this great Songs of Praise. It's our desire to encourage and uplift your thoughts to our loving Creator God.
pay the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his
Join us again next time on Songs of Praise, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio, to enjoy more uplifting music. Welcome to 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading program. The book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen White, presents the parables of Jesus in a fresh light, showing their application to Christian living today. In this devotional classic, Ellen White explores the depths of the best-loved teachings of Jesus, offering a deeply spiritual understanding of the parables of Christ as they apply to our lives today. You'll enjoy the practical applications in a way that touches your heart. Listen now as Clive Nash reads. Continuing the chapter, the sower went forth to sow in stony places. It is not because men receive the word immediately, nor because they rejoice in it, that they fall away. As soon as Matthew heard the Saviour's call, immediately he rose up, left all, and followed him. As soon as the divine word comes to our hearts, God desires us to receive it, and it is right to accept it with joy. Joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, Luke 15, verse 7. And there is joy in the soul that believes on Christ. But those who in the parable are said to receive the word immediately do not count the cost. They do not consider what the word of God requires of them. They do not bring it face to face with all their habits of life and yield themselves fully to its control. The roots of the plant strike down deep into the soil and hidden from sight nourish the life of the plant. So with the Christian. It is by the invisible union of the soul with Christ through faith that the spiritual life is nourished. But the stony ground hearers depend upon self instead of Christ They trust in their good works and good impulses and are strong in their own righteousness. They are not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Such a one hath not root in himself, for he is not connected with Christ. The hot summer sun that strengthens and ripens the hardy grain destroys that which has no depth of root. So he who hath not root in himself dureth for a while But when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Many receive the gospel as a way of escape from suffering, rather than as a deliverance from sin. They rejoice for a season, for they think that religion will free them from difficulty and trial. While life moves smoothly with them, they may appear to be consistent Christians, but they faint beneath the fiery test of temptation. They cannot bear reproach for Christ's sake. When the Word of God points out some cherished sin or requires self-denial or sacrifice, they are offended. It would cost them too much effort to make a radical change in their life. They look at the present inconvenience and trial and forget the eternal realities. Like the disciples who left Jesus, they are ready to say, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? John 6 verse 60. There are very many who claim to serve God, but who have no experimental knowledge of Him. Their desire to do His will is based upon their own inclination, not upon the deep conviction of the Holy Spirit. Their conduct is not brought into harmony with the law of God. They profess to accept Christ as their Saviour, but they do not believe that He will give them power to overcome their sins. 
They have not a personal relation with a living Saviour, and their characters reveal defects both hereditary and cultivated. It is one thing to assent in a general way to the agency of the Holy Spirit, and another thing to accept His work as a reprover calling to repentance. Many feel a sense of estrangement from God, a realization of their bondage to self and sin. They make efforts for reform, but they do not crucify self. They do not give themselves entirely into the hands of Christ, seeking for divine power to do His will. They are not willing to be molded after the divine similitude. In a general way, they acknowledge their imperfections, but they do not give up their particular sins. With each wrong act, the old selfish nature is gaining strength. The only hope for these souls is to realize in themselves the truth of Christ's words to Nicodemus, Ye must be born again. Except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, verses 7 and 3. True holiness is wholeness in the service of God. This is the condition of true Christian living. Christ asks for an unreserved consecration, for undivided service. He demands the heart, the mind, the soul, the strength. Self is not to be cherished. He who lives to himself is not a Christian. Love must be the principle of action. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth, and it must be the foundation of the Christian's character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him to withstand trial and temptation. And love will be revealed in sacrifice. The plan of redemption was laid in sacrifice, a sacrifice so broad and deep and high that it is immeasurable. Christ gave all for us, and those who receive Christ will be ready to sacrifice all for the sake of their Redeemer. The thought of His honor and glory will come before anything else. If we love Jesus, we shall love to live for Him, to present our thank offerings to Him, to labor for Him. The very labor will be light. For His sake, we shall covet pain and toil and sacrifice. We shall sympathize with His longing for the salvation of men. We shall feel the same tender craving for souls that He has felt. This is the religion of Christ. Anything short of it is a deception. No mere theory of truth or profession of discipleship will save any soul. We do not belong to Christ unless we are His wholly. It is by half-heartedness in the Christian life that men become feeble in purpose and changeable in desire. The effort to serve both self and Christ makes one a stony ground hearer, and he will not endure when the test comes upon him. Among Thorns He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. The gospel seed often falls among thorns and noxious weeds. And if there is not a moral transformation in the human heart, if old habits and practices and the former life of sin are not left behind, if the attributes of Satan are not expelled from the soul, the wheat crop will be choked. The thorns will come to be the crop and will kill out the wheat. Grace can thrive only in the heart that is being constantly prepared for the precious seeds of truth. The thorns of sin will grow in any soil 
They need no cultivation, but grace must be carefully cultivated. The briars and thorns are always ready to spring up, and the work of purification must advance continually. If the heart is not kept under the control of God, if the Holy Spirit does not work unceasingly to refine and ennoble the character, the old habits will reveal themselves in the life. Men may profess to believe the gospel, but unless they are sanctified by the gospel, their profession is of no avail. If they do not gain the victory over sin, then sin is gaining the victory over them. The thorns that have been cut off but not uprooted grow apace until the soul is overspread with them. Christ specified the things that are dangerous to the soul. As recorded by Mark, he mentions the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. Luke specifies the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. These are what choke the word, the growing spiritual seed. The soul ceases to draw nourishment from Christ, and spirituality dies out of the heart. The cares of this world. No class is free from the temptation to worldly care. To the poor, toil and deprivation and the fear of want bring perplexities and burdens. To the rich come fear of loss and a multitude of anxious cares. Many of Christ's followers forget the lesson he has bidden us learn from the flowers of the field. They do not trust to his constant care. Christ cannot carry their burden because they do not cast it upon him. Therefore the cares of life, which should drive them to the Saviour of her help and comfort, separate them from him. Many who might be fruitful in God's service become bent on acquiring wealth. Their whole energy is absorbed in business enterprises, and they feel obliged to neglect things of a spiritual nature. Thus they separate themselves from God. We are enjoined in the Scriptures to be not slothful in business, Romans 12.11. We are to labour that we may impart to him who needs. Christians must work, they must engage in business, and they can do this without committing sin. But many become so absorbed in business that they have no time for prayer, no time for the study of the Bible, no time to seek and serve God. At times the longings of the soul go out for holiness in heaven, but there is no time to turn aside from the din of the world to listen to the majestic and authoritative utterances of the Spirit of God. The things of eternity are made subordinate, the things of the world supreme. It is impossible for the seed of the word to bring forth fruit, for the life of the soul is given to nourish the thorns of worldliness. And many who are working with a very different purpose fall into a like error. They are working for others' good. Their duties are pressing. Their responsibilities are many, and they allow their labor to crowd out devotion. Communion with God through prayer and a study of his word is neglected. They forget that Christ has said, Without me, you can do nothing. John 15, verse 5. They walk apart from Christ. Their life is not pervaded by His grace, and the characteristics of self are revealed. Their service is marred by a desire for supremacy and the harsh, unlovely traits of the unsubdued heart. Here is one of the chief secrets of failure in Christian work. This is why its results are often so meagre. The deceitfulness of riches. The love of riches has an infatuating, deceptive power. 
Too often those who possess worldly treasure forget that it is God who gives them power to get wealth. They say, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Deuteronomy 8.17 Their riches, instead of awakening gratitude to God, lead to the exaltation of self. They lose the sense of their dependence upon God and their obligation to their fellow men. Instead of regarding wealth as a talent to be employed for the glory of God and the uplifting of humanity, they look upon it as a means of serving themselves. Instead of developing in man the attributes of God, riches thus used are developing in him the attributes of Satan. The seed of the word is choked with thorns. And pleasures of this life. There is danger in amusement that is sought merely for self-gratification, All habits of indulgence that weaken the physical powers, that becloud the mind or that benumb the spiritual perceptions, are fleshly lusts which war against the soul. 1 Peter 2.11 And the lusts of other things. These are not necessarily things sinful in themselves, but something that is made first instead of the kingdom of God. Whatever attracts the mind from God, whatever draws the affections away from Christ, is an enemy of the soul. When the mind is youthful and vigorous and susceptible of rapid development, there is great temptation to be ambitious for self, to serve self. If worldly schemes are successful, there is an inclination to continue in a line that deadens conscience and prevents a correct estimate as to what constitutes real excellence of character. When circumstances favour this development, growth will be seen in a direction prohibited by the Word of God. In this formative period of their children's life, the responsibility of parents is very great. It should be their study to surround the youth with right influences, influences that will give them correct views of life and its true success. Instead of this, how many parents make it their first object to secure for their children worldly prosperity? All their associations are chosen with reference to this object. Many parents make their home in some large city and introduce their children into fashionable society. They surround them with influences that encourage worldliness and pride. In this atmosphere, the mind and soul are dwarfed. The high and noble aims of life are lost sight of. The privilege of being sons of God, heirs of eternity, is bartered for worldly gain. Join us again next time as Clive Nash continues to read from the book Christ's Object Lessons, written by Ellen G. White. enjoy the short presentation of how God led his people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com Ellen White wasn't the first or only person to receive visions during this time period. Two men also received the gift of prophecy, but each one would have vastly different experiences and outcomes in their lives and ministry. God often overlooks people that are qualified in an earthly sense and uses those whom others might not. 
academic qualifications, eloquent speech, and a popular personality are all valued by society, but God looks for the person who is humble, who if they are used will bring honor to God. The first person worthy of our mention is William Foy. William Foy, an African-American, was known as an exceptional speaker and was in his early 20s in 1842 when he received several dramatic visions. The first was on January the 18th and it lasted for two and a half hours and happened in a church in Southwark Street here in Boston. A physician was present and could detect no sign of life except around his heart. His breath had left him. He had a second vision on February the 4th that lasted for 13 and a half hours and was instructed to share this vision with others. William Foy was hesitant to go public due to the large amount of prejudice he would receive as an African-American during this period of America's history. Yet when he received an invitation to speak in a church and share his vision, he agreed. The church gladly heard his message and he soon got invitations over the next three months to speak in churches of all different denominations. William Foy served faithfully as a prophet in the pre-Great Disappointment period. He never said that his gift would extend for a long time or that he would receive more visions. The evidence seems to suggest that he'd received a specific message for a specific time and that he faithfully fulfilled this task. The second man to receive visions was named Hazen Foss. In January of 1845, he met Ellen White and told her his story. Shortly after she received her first vision, he received the exact same vision and was instructed to tell others about it, yet he didn't. Still upset after the great disappointment of 1844 and possibly not wanting to open himself to ridicule, he refused. The Lord came to him and told him that he would have another opportunity, yet if he still refused, the gift would be given to somebody else. Even with such a warning, he manifested a recalcitrant and rebellious attitude and did not share, and a strange feeling came over him, and he heard a voice say, you have grieved away the Spirit of God. Frightened and horrified, he decided he would share the vision and called a meeting of the Advent believers. He explained to those present what had happened, but when it came time to share the vision, he couldn't remember any of it, not even a single word. Those present later described it as a most horrible and sobering scene. As he spoke to Ellen White, he implored her to be faithful to the gift that God had given her and lamented himself as a lost man. He would live till his 70s and lies buried here, but in his life he would never show any more spiritual interest again. Here in East Sullivan in Northern Maine, we have the grave of William Foy. And so we have the story of two men, one obedient to the call of God and one resistant to the call of God. The best time to follow God, the best time to follow His plan for our lives is always the earliest time. 
it is never good to delay, to debate, or to barter with God. If God is calling you to ministry, harden not your heart. Follow the Lord and share the message wherever He leads. For more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com.